welcome to Crit Club, a podcast where four friends sit around and discuss uh, movies they haven't seen from the Criterion Collection. Uh, my name is Chris. This week we are taking a look at a surreal odyssey. Japan's number three killer embarks on a strange quest through rough sex, boiled rice, and butterflies. Um, I've already introduced myself, but I'd like to introduce uh, my co-host. Let's start with... Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, I'm Peter. Hi, I'm Angela. That's everybody. So this is uh, Seijun Suzuki's 1967 film, Branded to Kill, starring Joe Shishido. Um, this, is, uh, this was an exciting little, little romp uh, through the deep, dark, uh, the deep, dark world of Japanese Yakuza. Uh, I'm going to keep my opinions to myself, though. I'm curious to see what you all thought of this one. Corey, what did you think of Branded to Kill? Yeah, Corey, I, go first. I really like Branded to Kill. Um, you would. <laughs> I would, exactly. I mean, I was watching this, and I was like, yeah, this, this is a Corey movie. Uh, I can see this potentially being divisive. Um, I have a great love, a great abiding passion for uh, just weird, offbeat, B-type movies. Um, and this this is very much so, except it's, it has a lot more style and creativity and cleverness than like a lot of crappy B movies. Um, it's certainly goofy and irreverent and it never really takes itself that seriously. And just when you start to think it takes itself seriously, it just shows you that it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed, uh, I did more like additional research about this and stuff. And then watching the videos that um, they also provided on the Criterion channel streaming service. Uh, various interviews talking about how this movie was made and it's you know it's very much like a 1960s Japanese studio system they were pumping out two movies every week so uh, <laughs> like it's just just pumping out movies like this and um, this director was apparently just getting stranger and stranger and this was the the strange one that got him fired for, you know, and blacklisted for making movies for 10 years. So uh, it's a great story uh, that comes with it. Uh, I think that there are certain things that stop it from being a, you know, tr- truly masterpiece kind of movie. But um, I enjoyed the, the romp while I was on it a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Peter, what did you think? Uh, what did I think? Um, I think I, I think I really liked it a lot. I also think it was not a very good movie. Uh, and I think <laughs> both of those things are very like true. Uh, it was, it, it was great. You know, it, it was one of those things where like, uh, after having grown up and at least I guess, uh, filmologically, uh, or whatever, cinematographically, uh, growing up with Tarantino movies I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever really seen a lot of or uh, I know I've seen a lot of his the things that influenced him but it was really something of seeing a movie and being like ah yeah okay yeah. yes of just like immediately identifying like this is exactly what he ripped off a lot of in a lot of ways <laughs> and so I, I think there was hey, a lot homage. of homage really, for sure oh yeah no, yeah for sure whatever um uh uh like I think there's it was it was very fascinating and very fun to watch something that carries so much uh, cinematic context with it, I think. Uh, It was also just not good. It was also just, like, 
very sloppy. It was very sloppy and very slapped together in, in very obvious ways. And there were themes and sort of plot points that I guess you're just supposed to pick up on that I don't think it was just a matter of being lost in translation. Um, and I think that there were things that, like, even at the end of the movie, it was like, oh, you kind of wanted more time to go into this and you just never had it. There were just all these flaws. It was just like a very crappy kind of movie <laughs> it wasn't crappy at all that's that's an overstatement of it <laughs> no um, I, I agree but it was like no sorry let me finish yeah. the thought real fast but it was like also like of uh but it was also oh sh shoot i lost it um uh but it was also uh very fascinating and and whatever i don't know i said i said the part sorry Corey. what are you saying you agree i, I don't want to jump on into everyone else's first impressions but like uh, you just reminded me of like watching it and like yeah i mean the, the action scenes like all of a sudden this building's on fire and like we never yeah. showed like how that happened and like various things like that it was all like very um sloppy and uh, i also lost my train of thought anyway go ahead yeah it back. was sloppy in a not fun <laughs> way a lot of times like i don't mind sloppiness i kind of love sloppiness like there's like a bunch of movies we've talked about that are kind of i find very endearing for their sloppiness where this is uh, I mean, I maybe I'll, I watched uh, some of the interviews with the director and producers or whatever after this as well, and it kind of ruined it even further for mm -hmm. me because they were just kind of like, well, you know, these butterflies, I don't know what, you'll have to ask the writer about the butterflies. Like, it seemed very much like they were throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, because of their studio system, they kind of had to, which is very valuable to know. Um, and it also kind of, in any sort of like, value I found within the themes or, or what they were trying to show is, is kind of lost given uh, given sort of the, the the system in which it was made. Yeah, and, um, and, so and then the director was also saying like he didn't even put that much thought into various shots. And I think yeah. a lot of the shots were beautiful. Like, yeah. I mean, like some of the, just really like the cinematography was framed very well and it just like looked very cool and very evocative. And him just kind of saying like, yeah, it's kind of thrown together. Like it made me feel like, uh, it, it made feel like punk rock or something it's like oh man i really love this punk rock song and then you like listen to the inner uh you know an interview of the you know guitarist and he's like i don't know man i knew three chords and threw it together and you're like oh yeah. okay <laughs> well it's, it's, i still okay. liked it when it was happening it definitely okay here's the here's i mean besides from also its ridiculous treatment of women uh it was mm -hmm. also uh i don't know i think i think I, I think my biggest takeaway on that is i watched that movie and couldn't help but think about, man, if you gave this movie one more year, this would have been kind of a wonderful film to watch. Put it uh, back in, it's like, not done yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And and now I'm just left with that. I want to hear what Angela says, yes. though, please. I, I, but I before before we go to Angela, because oh, okay. she's going yeah, to yeah. crap on it. Um, I interrupt her. Yeah. I, I remembered uh, the other thing that I was going to say is about halfway through the movie, I stopped trying to actively try to figure out what was going on in the movie. I like realized I should not try to follow threads. I should not try to figure this out. I'm just going to lay back and let this movie happen to me. And I start and I started enjoying it more. I mean, I, I love movies, but I don't have to think about them as well, but, but know, like even worrying uh, about like who's even going after who and what various little plot points are like, I was just like, I'm throwing it all out the window and just going to watch, watch the visuals as they happen. Angela, what did you think of Branded to Kill? I have two things. One, the most appropriate audience or location to display this film, to show this film, is like a very loud and noisy bar. Because yeah. you, no matter what attention you put to this film, you can't really like follow a thread. And that's okay, and I appreciate that level of craftsmanship. I see how it's in influenced 
modern cinema and especially Quentin Tarantino, who is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, I, I'm going to say that I'm very in a biased place right now to be against this movie. I, I have been going through a lot of stuff and I just, I don't have the energy to be open <laughs> to the absurdity here. This is sort of mm-hmm. like, I was like <laughs> thinking to myself, I wonder what, would, I love that. what if like Agnes Varda did this movie? How would that be different? Or, um, uh, I th- and I cut out, I mean, honestly, I, I cut out when there was a lot of, like, really misogynistic sex stuff that is, yeah. I mean, just not my jam. Oh, is this movie misogynist? <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, right? Are we sure um, that's not the English translation of the title, actually? Right. So, I just, I'm like, uh, I'm just not in a, but I did, I had to finish watching it another time because I got interrupted by, like, some child emergency. And I watched the last 30 minutes, like, today, and there was just this incessant thing about number one, number one, number one. And all I could think about was, like, the only number one I want to watch right now is Will Riker on TNG. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much sums up the whole rest of how I feel about the movie. I don't have, like, I agree with Corey. The cinematography was crazy good. Like, it made so me, good. the cinematography was so good that I couldn't just throw away this film like the cinematography was so good it didn't deserve this movie um and so that that's why the the director's like i don't know what was going on there i'm like that cinematographer saved your ass Um, the locations were amazing Mm -hmm. locations were amazing but really i have seen very rarely like three-fourths of a film using low light high contrast filmmaking right where it's mainly takes place in the dark, like in interior places where it's dark, but yet at the same time, there is key high key lighting that is creating additional highlights and shadows, which is fascinating to watch. I was just pissed off that I didn't have enough to care about to really pay mm-hmm. attention. Um, and But what's interesting, though, is that there are times when the camera does eventually go outside in full daylight, um, and because that contrasts so deeply with the mostly low level high contrast um lighting i i i know there's some meaning there but i'm too i the director has asked too much of me to spend time to figure it out (laughs) absolutely agree with you absolutely agree with you chris what did you think of your pick your pick oh god i don't know guys i have a lot of i got a lot of complicated feelings about this movie i'm hearing everybody uh i think when they're like it's not very good like it's a yakuza movie um like turned up to 11 with like the goofiness um like his like weird hypersexuality and like the the rice thing the smelling the rice to get like fired up like <laughs> which was product placement apparently yes really? yes <laughs> forgot about that yeah they said that in an interview but like i don't know they can he can smell rice to get horny Fuck. yeah they're like we, we need to we need to promote this rice cooker and so they wrote it in you know and That's so why. So, like, having, like, yeah, okay, uh, and, like, having heard from you guys just in the last little bit here that, like, it seems like nobody involved in this movie, like, cared about it that much, 
Um, I think it's still incredibly fascinating that uh, there are so many like beautiful shots. Um, Joe Shishido's weird face is like burned into my memory for mm -hmm. the next little while. Um, mm -hmm. the, 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 the butterflies everywhere. Um, the, the beautiful femme fatale who is just like, I want to die. Like what a like, all of this is prefaced with with the whole, with I think something that definitely needs to be acknowledged. This movie is super not cool about women. It is super misogynistic and super shitty. There is so much backhanding of uh, of ladies in this movie that I um, I have to assume that this is some kind of elevated like parody. Um, or like some like elevated reality where they're like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do like the the hero is is masculine to the point of being like completely destructive to everybody around him and like destructive to himself. I don't know if that's true. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I do think that like there is an element of like off the rails like farce to this movie. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of beautiful point. shots and there's a lot there's really nothing super interesting I can say about the dialogue or like the plot or anything. I love the last half hour, 45 minutes of the movie more than than I thought possible when mm, num I agree. when number 1 comes in, <laughs> number 1. Make uh, that the entire movie. Oh my god. Make that yeah. the entire movie. Yeah. I guess yeah, I kind of checked out a little bit in the middle. And then I came right back into the movie, like fully ready to go. The second uh, number one, like uh, moves in when he like pisses his pants and dumps the shoe out onto the uh, mm -hmm. onto the car. I'm like, make this the movie. This mm -hmm. is so great. So speaking of Joe Shishido's face, um, he <laughs> he was he was concerned band. that he was not going to be getting uh, leading man roles. So those are cheek implants. Uh, he, he got cheek implants. They uh, look what? Great. What? Yeah. They look great. Uh, so, um, so I think what? that there was a lot of cleverness in this movie. So watching this movie, and maybe it's just because um, I'm going to compare it to like other Japanese media that I've consumed. So I love uh, the, like the video games, um, Killer7, Deadly Premonition, Let It Die. These are, these are not good games and they are difficult they're they're not difficult to play in the way that like they're intentionally difficult for a challenge they're difficult because they're like sloppy crappy kind of games and they're not super fun to play but i'm playing them for the weirdness of them they're just profoundly super strange and i was getting the same kind of thrills and vibes from this like i'm realizing this is not a good movie but i'm still really enjoying the clever little things that are in there like when he unscrews the pipe and like shoots somebody through the sink up through the pipe and below yeah. i'm like fucking great goofy i love it shit. love it so goofy. Uh, uh, there's like a scene where he's like on a based on a japanese uh, legend about a ninja who hid in a toilet for days waiting for the right guy to sit over it so really yeah i like to think that there's some homage there to like some, okay. some yeah I some love other that. goofy shit that happens when you just really got to kill a guy yeah and, like, uh, where he, like, couldn't, uh, he was, like, trying to stay awake, and so he, like, tied the rope around his neck to, like, catch himself from, like, nodding off, like, on board for this. The whole thing where he's, like, under the car and pulling oh, the rope pulling to move the, the car, yeah, like, under cool. the cover. Like, cool. they're just, like, these things that are happening in this movie where I'm just, like, this is, it's clever. I don't know. I like it. See, and Mike, and my 
pushback about that is there are very few clever things about this movie. Hmm. Like, I would agree with you about those, but those elements uh, seem to me to be few and kind of far between. And, like, I love cool assassin shit, too, right? Like, I, like I, I like good things, and to me this was just, like, it was... I, I guess you kind of ran into it, Wizard, whenever I was talking about, like, how it seemed like they didn't have enough time to develop a full movie. Like, they, it seemed like they really were very interested in that last half hour or something. And it, I don't know. Everything about it just seemed enormously jumbled to me. I mean, you know, so I've been, with a friend I've been watching, because uh, she'd never seen it, I've been watching uh, the John Wick movies. Mm-hmm. And this is just, like, also totally a John Wick movie. Like, this is, and in a way that I kind of like, uh, you know, John Wick movies are stupid, but I, I really, really love the idea of assassin mythology. Like, I really love the idea of a whole hidden sort of underground culture that only, a, like, a language a series of rituals and whatever things like that that only assassins know that's kind of built into this like i 100 percent think this movie is you know another sort of a harbinger of john wick and stuff like that it's just that a lot of this stuff was like a lot of those things that i liked about that were in this movie were pretty few and far between and the other stuff was just bad i don't know hmm. not bad but just like didn't grab me as much interesting it, it rarely had my attention sway at all like i was I was on board for it. No, it was to the point where I was like, I would notice those things. Like, I love that, that the hanging, like the, when there, there's the lighter and he's popping out of the yeah. lighter to shoot the thing. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Do that more mm-hmm. movie. Like, I'm just <laughs> imploring this movie to do more things. Uh, it was like, and it was to the point where it was like, I didn't know you said, Corey, and, and you said at the very beginning of it having, if it, uh, being aware of itself, and that's not something I know if I agree with or not. Like I, uh, maybe it's aware of itself, or maybe it was just bad. Like I couldn't tell. Like you had all of these actors flopping and flailing around, and I don't know if they kind of think this is just like over the top and campy, <laughs> yeah. uh, or if they were just I like have to they were just. So, yeah. I think it was. I, I don't know, like, because in that same interview with the director, he just wanted everything big so that mm-hmm. it was entertaining. And his whole goal was that it was just showy and big and entertaining. Yeah, his quote so was, just... uh, make it exciting and funny. That was his quote. I... Angela, what do you got? There are way better Japanese films that are both absurd and goofy and violent. I'm going to offer up Tampopo. Tampopo is delightful and hilarious and but when was that misogynistic. Made? When was that What's made? That? I mean, I, I'm also giving this a little bit of credit be, by being made in like 1967, especially in like a big, just like major studio pump them out kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I, I was definitely watching this as, as thinking this was, you know, made two years before, you know, LSD really got going. Like, I was, I was giving it the credit of being weird before weirdness was so pervasive in mainstream culture. Well, it's like artful, right? It's like trying, it, in certain ways, it is artful. It's trying to like blend, you know, when, you know, I think when the characters were flailing around or like the, the butterflies, or when the butterfly lands on the, uh, on the, on the muzzle of the gun, all these moments, all those, those times, I was thinking I would really, really enjoy like an animated version of this thing. Yeah. I would love someone to draw this and like just be able to maybe blend some of the some of the symbolism and some of the weirdness together a little bit more i don't know i still i still enjoyed the movie it's just it has a certain like blending of you know i would i would like to see it uh, it has a certain blending of reality and fantasy or like realism and and magic or whatever that i really enjoyed watching um 
Yeah. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cut it any slack for being 1967. We watched Cleo from five to seven, which was 1962, which had a lot of sensitive portrayal of women in there. Like I mean, like that's like. I oh, I'm not like giving it a break on that, its misogyny. I'm just saying like it's. Uh, goofiness it's like irreverence and weirdness oh sure i don't know yeah the goofiness is one thing i don't know i like i kept thinking and it's you know it's it's a it's a hallmark of misogyny so don't listen to me but it was so abundantly clear in this movie that every man who dies is just a quick and painless death and all of their pain is internal and agonizing internal whatever while women are just beat to hell mm-hmm. and it's just really I, I i don't know i'm really got on the fence with I, I really got on the side of angela with this of like i don't have time for this what do you is this what you got like i mean i was interested in that the 1960s weren't necessarily renowned for its portrayals of any sort of sexual intercourse so i'll give it a uh maybe it's a little avant-garde because they showed it in much more detail um, and breadth, but that doesn't make up for the fact that the women in this film were little more than objects. So I couldn't enjoy it yeah. that much. It was it's a profoundly patriarchal, misogynistic movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's a huge boys' club that's making this. I mean, it's like male producers, it's male writers, it's male directors. It's like you know, it's all a boys' club pumping these movies out. Like there is a there's an upskirt shot in this uh, in this thing that could have been like ripped straight from like yesterday's uh, yesterday's uh, like pervy hentai site. Like it's it's yeah, no question, no question that this is like a product of like a pretty patriarchal system in a pretty patriarchal society in a in a pretty patriarchal time. Um, I don't think that we can give it a pass on that. Certainly. Um, but as I, it's, it's so cool. I, 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 at the same time, I'm railing against it. I really am so happy. I got to see it. I think mm-hmm. like I, cause I, I think, I think my understanding of early or my understanding of mid century, mid 20th century Japanese filmography or like cinema is pretty staid and serious. It's all like Kurosawa stuff. And, and it's not until I think of like 1977's How Su that I think of like weird cinema being in Japan. And then I, you know, I've watched a bunch of Takashi Miike and a bunch of other oh just. Boy. You know, yeah, and like it's it's kind of really cool and great to see like the progenitors of of you know it's it's kind of and I'm sure there's a, a ton of it and I'm just enormously ignorant about the subject, but it's great to have an introduction into weird Japanese cinema that does go back to '67. I'm sure it's even farther back than that, and I'm just enormously ignorant. But it was it's great to to dip my toes into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was certainly uh, weird enough to get him blacklisted for ten years. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, fired for making movies that make no money and no sense. And Mm -hmm. certainly, yeah, the movie doesn't like, I think, I think it maybe assumes that you kind of, you're kind of like familiar with like the conventions of the same, like the same like house gangster films that are being made at the time. And that's why I feel like some of the movie is done in the broad strokes that we're sort of, that we're sort of critiquing. Um, those moments where he's like, "What? Who is that guy? Like, what is happening here?" Uh, again, not necessarily giving it a pass, because um, I think the movie is like acknowledged as being like done a bit slapdash and, and you know, on on uh, on the on you know by the seat of your pants. Um, I don't know. I 
I was about to say it's. I find it charming, um, but it is definitely not charming. It's like lurid <laughs> and seedy, and it's a dirty little movie sometimes. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. Uh, those last was, those I, last forty five minutes, like when number one moves in, I'm just like, ah, oh, this movie's <laughs> amazing. Can someone explain? Is, is there an explanation for that that I just missed? That's how he. That's or... how he kills you. He he wears you. He exhausts you, and then he kills yeah. you. <laughs> Yes, that's how he works. That's how he works. Yeah, that's why he's number one. That's why he's number. Which I, which I, I honestly very much love. I, I really love this sort of insight because I, I'm assuming it was set. It was set in contemporary Japan at that 1967, mm-hmm. and and even then, you know, with I think there's a lot of like salary man and corporate like hierarchy being instilled in like my understanding of 1980s Japanese culture, but even in 1967 of still having that very entrenched, you are number three, there's number two, there's number, like, this very, like, uh, literal, (laughs) it's not literal, but very, like, overtly understood ladder uh, hierarchy of of hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah, That I I thought was fascinating. I would really like to know if that's, like, a common trope uh, in movies of this particular period, or Mm -hmm. if he's, or if, Suzuki like introduced this as mm-hmm. like a joke that then becomes like like you like you guys said like a like a John Wick thing. It, it is a parody of a trope that then itself becomes a trope. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about uh, about like you know these kind of like factory farmed gangster movies. <laughs> I have a question for Angela. Uh, you had said. I want to ask more about what are some of your favorite shots uh, that you enjoyed. I want I want to hear if you have any. Uh, pluses about this movie what are your i don't have pluses for this movie i'm sorry to say (laughs) um but i i mean it's not a plus it's just the cinematography is is exquisite and incredible and i i'm curious to find out uh what the cinematographer has done i mean i just liked the playful use of um they did like that whole spot towards the end where they did reversal stock where instead of black and white, you were seeing the opposite. Um, And I thought that was like super cool. Um, And I don't know. I just really liked the deep, dark saturations of the blacks and then the bright lights when there's, when there was a dark shot, you know, it was all about the lighting. And I mean, and those shots are not easy to set up. Um, And he was still able to get, like what was really exquisite about that cinematography was that it was super fucking crisp. Like really yeah. all of yeah, that black and much. white in, and it looked, um, if you think about, uh, silver halide crystals, which is what is, um, light sensitive on film stock. Um, it, you know, depending on what kind of lighting you're using, you know, your, your film sensitivity is either going to be super high um, but with um, really big crystals and you don't get very good crisp images from it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious actually exactly how they shot this movie because it's some of the best cinematography I've ever seen hands down. And, you know, it's not like, even though they say it's slapdash, all of those shots required like a ton of arrangement um, and uh, a lot of thought. So I think actually that the screenplay and the story received almost no thought, but the shooting of this film, which is why like it made me angry because if it was really a shitty movie, I could actually just 
not give a shit. But the fact that this is actually, like, I could tell the effort that they put in. I'm pissed about it. I'm like, I'm like, because I, I feel like if I don't get this movie that I, all of that effort has been wasted. Um, and so I am, I'm annoyed about it. Uh, but I, you know, I think that, and at the same time, I'm mad because it makes me want to watch it again, but I don't want to watch it again. Oh, um, let's watch it again. Let's do a part two exactly one yeah. year from today. I'm good. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be open uh, to it because I feel like if I watched it a second time, I would maybe get some more meaning. Like, and I also, I do. Okay. One plus is that I genuinely don't know if this filmmaker is just like, uh, a fool telling a joke or if he's completely brilliant. I'm, uh, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm stuck in this weird spot. Um, yet life is precious time. I cannot, uh, create time so do i want to watch this movie again and so one thing one of my favorite ways of looking at life is this notion that um it's not uh people that we actually remember in our lives it's how they made us feel when we were around mm-hmm. them and i feel the same way sometimes about films and so mm-hmm. when i watch this film i don't feel happy i don't feel um intellectually charged I feel a little curious because that's that cinematography was pretty amazing, but um, I'm actually mostly I feel really angry. But maybe that's because I'm angry about a, a lot of things. So, <laughs> and I think a lot of times when we're consuming media, it it is also like where we are as a person yeah. when we're consuming it. Yeah. Uh, I was in a good mood when I was watching it, so I was I was along <laughs> for the lucky ride. And that definitely <laughs> helps. I love this shot. There's this one shot that I, I, I really loved to the point where I like paused it and just looked at it for a bit. Because uh, I, I agree with you that, Angela, there was a lot of thought that was put into... And that's what's so baffling about this movie is there was a lot of thought put into parts of it and not too much thought put into a lot of other parts of it. Uh, and it, you're just almost left with like, well, that almost could have been a good use of my time. Uh, and uh, But like I love this shot of like, it's... Uh, I think it's after he accidentally kills the passerby instead of kiss, killing the, the guy that he was supposed to. And it's uh, the his love interest and him that are kind of like on two different planes of this one shot where she's like on the steps sort of further in the background and he's uh, at the bottom or whatever. They're facing two different directions and there's just these wonderful lines of this staircase, but she's also wearing vertical stripes Mm -hmm. like everything is just like all of these sort of cross-hatched lines both in terms of points of view horizon line production design yeah it was it was a really cool shot i mean i I could see this as i mean because this movie was written like in committee there were like i forget how many they said like eight writers and they would just meet and they would just bang out these scripts and they were like a lot of them were handwritten and stuff that they all received and so I can see this as being like a conveyor belt of, you know, process where they just yeah. kind of like banged out this script really fast, but then you put it into the hands of these like cinematographers and people who are actually like making these movies in this incredibly stressful and factory farm kind of ways where it, it almost makes me think of like, uh, like the Beatles when they were like playing like every single night for, you know, years in Hamburg, you know, Germany. And that's how they became like really, really, really good. Cause they were just doing it over and over and over again. So you take this like slapdash, you know, half good script and put it in the hands of people who are like, have been working their asses off for years and know how to like 
take that and just make a cool shot out of it. Like, and I think that's what happened in a lot of this. Like they, they didn't have a great script, but they were able to like make the scenes interesting because they were competent and they knew what they were doing. I could see, I could see, see some of that. Certainly. Yeah. Like, um, parts of this movie, uh, parts of this movie probably read like somebody who is bored with making a certain kind of film, like bored with making a certain kind of film but not bored with filmmaking. So they're like, all right, well, let's, let's get some animation in there. Let's throw some butterflies in. Let's create some weird shots. Let's say that what matters about this, this movie, it's just like one of a bajillion, uh, Yakuza movies coming out of Japan at this time. Uh, let's, let's just, move to the next exciting image mm-hmm. and none of the story matters and who cares about his relationship to the wife or the girl or it's, none of it matters let's just like progress to each uh to each new and exciting image which is a way that some people make movies um you know with that kind of like that kind of like pop art sensibility or something like that um i don't know so I'd love, and and listeners, we've got emails, and please send emails about this, but I, I would love to, so, okay, so a lot of this reminds me, or a lot of this makes me think that it's not necessarily the fault of scriptwriters or the director or anything else like that. It's more a fault of the studio system that was in place at Japan at the time, which I just don't know about. Like, I feel like I know, I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on my understanding of Hollywood's studio system throughout the 30s, 40s, and 50s, but I don't know near as much about the Japanese sort of studio system. So if it, so if anybody has any good papers or books on that, I actually <laughs> would totally read a book about the Japanese studio system. Um, but because it was the same thing in Hollywood, right? Of uh, through the 30s, 40s, and 50s, of you're just you're churning, you're just getting these out, and you're rising and falls with whatever ticket sales are doing. And it was just so me- mechanized. And uh, Corey, you said assembly line. It was just like such an assembly line process um, that. Uh, uh, that it's it's fascinating this carried over because it kind of evaporated. America's studio system evaporated sort of in the 60s. Um, there was a, the Hayes Code. Mm-hmm. I think the Hayes Code was like evaporate, whatever. And so that led to Bonnie and Clyde and Psycho and stuff like that that kind of changed the landscape. But People like, flushing um, toilets on film and America's oh, never been the same. Scandalous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, but yeah, I, I'm. Uh, but it's, so it's so number one, it's fascinating to me that the studio system continued like this and they had the same thing in Japan that continued through the late 60s. And it's also fascinating to think that there's no way a movie like this would have gone through um, the American studio system uh, in the what, when we had it. And so I think it's kind of a gem in its own right that such a vision of, you know, uh, attempted creativity was birthed out of. The, the necessity to keep churning at mm-hmm. movies doesn't excuse the treatment of women. Yeah. I mean, no. No, it doesn't. Um, no. <laughs> that was my spiel. Thank you. Have you all seen a lot of old spy movies? I mean, even if they're, you know, English language or whatnot? <laughs> Some. I've saw, I think I've seen more... Uh, what was that... Fantasy Island was it Fantasy? What was the the te- the British television show? Oh, the of Prisoner, like the number one, the Prisoner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have watched every episode of the Prisoner really? okay. for some reason. I've watched a lot of things. This, this kind <laughs> of has like a last episode of the Prisoner kind of vibe to it. You know, what? Yes, exactly. It's like yes. it's just gone. You're like, what happened? Where are we? Between that and James old James Bond and stuff like that, I think I've seen. See, I've never really seen old James Bond movies. 
I've probably seen three James Bond movies, and they're all kind of the, well, I was going to say new, but they're not new anymore. The Pierce Brosnan ones. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I've seen a, I've seen most of the most of the James Bond movies. Um, the Prisoner was also nineteen sixty seven. There's some there's some yeah there's some Bond stuff at work here. The rice is is a Bond thing, I think. Get me some rice, more rice. And I feel like the gun sticking out of the lighter, like. Was kind of <laughs> yeah, the silly, the silly, like complicated assassination, like her, like uh, what's it, Misako in the like death trap and the psychedelic death trap thing with all the, yeah, you know, I, that's very James Bond, and like, and again, like that's one of those things that makes you go, this movie may actually very much be aware of itself because that is tremendously silly, and they almost yes. play it, they play it very silly. Um, I don't know, I don't know, I think, I think. I think there's. I think a leap of faith is required to mm-hmm. uh, to acknowledge that this movie has a, a certain level of self awareness. I think I'm willing to do that. I think I believe that this was made with some kind of higher intention. Um, I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you. Halfway. Yeah. I think it's some beautiful. Some beautiful shots. I think part of it's self aware. You, you can't have like your main spy guy like on the top of a hot air balloon looking in a window without like being self-aware like <laughs> no I, I think there's a venn diagram here i think there's a venn diagram of make it exciting and what i think is exciting and like let's have fun with ourselves and i think and i don't think these this movie overlaps those two circles like i think there's part of it and i think there's a lot of foolishness and sloppiness and i don't know it's not a great movie <laughs> I don't know. I like the butterflies. I thought the butterfly stuff that that's an image that will probably like stick in my head. Um, I, I, I also uh, when what was her name? Misako. Um, when they're like Misako's driving, the femme fatale. Yeah. yeah. When they're like driving in a convertible with like the top down in the middle of like the pouring rain. I'm just like I don't know. They didn't have to shoot that scene that way, but they decided to. And it's I don't know. She's she's always like wet. Like, in so many scenes, yeah. she's, like, you know, just in a shower or in the rain or whatever. Like, she's always, like, soaked. Uh, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting uh, thing for that character. Yeah. I, and I, I loved when the butterfly hit the gun. I, I was, like, I, I, and, and, so that, and that's what made me want to ask, like, if you all have seen any of, like, these old movies that, like, this might be playing off of. Because maybe that is more of a trope or something like that. But when that happened, I was like, that's, I like that. That's cute. That's, that's clever. Yeah, that's and that, cute, that's yeah. why he, you know, screws the job up but, and stuff. Like, I don't know. I thought and was... he sold it so seriously and earnestly <laughs> that I didn't, that's why it like, kind of lost me. It was like, if it weren't for the hair's breadth of a butterfly's weight on it. Like, I was, I and I was. It. I feel like I get jokes. I feel like I get most jokes. <laughs> oh, I get <laughs> I like, jokes. It's difficult for me to, yeah, <laughs> difficult for me to understand whether he's serious. Like I, I'm trying, to, I'm supposed to believe this, or if that's just kind yes, of like this a, knows it's goofy. It it definitely. I mean, in the opening scenes uh, yeah. where that like character gets like drunk and is like you know dancing around with his arms all flying around to Kimbo like, and foaming stuff, at like, the mouth. Th- like th- th- this, this movie knows it's goofy. Cool. <laughs> Shall there's we roll a, on a, it? You know, Angela's done, <laughs> done talking about this movie. <laughs> uh, I do want to say one other thing that the last shot uh, at the boxing rink, it just made me think of 
the LL Cool J video, Mama Said Knock You Out. Um, I don't know. And I went and like looked at them side by side, and they're both very like washed out black and white. And so I think I'm, I'm validated in having that be reminiscent of it for me. But probably dating okay. myself here with that, yep. that reference. That shot made me sad that Hood Slam hasn't happened in months. Yeah, yeah, I miss Hood Slam. I went to the last Hood Slam before COVID shut down. So. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I have... I don't really have any last thoughts about this, but I have a last question for Angela. I'm going to make you talk about this movie, whether you like it or not. That's fine. Um, one last question. Uh, is you, do you feel your life is better for having watched this movie? I would say I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I at least have this knowledge. Or would you be better served not having seen this? Um, no, I'm not better served by not watching it because then I didn't mm-hmm. get to have this conversation. And so that's valuable to me. Um, how would we see each other's faces right um and having this on my agenda is something that makes me happy even if it's a if they're films that i don't particularly like and uh i'm just in general uh uh out of fucks in terms of like my whole life right now and this movie was just not like and i tried I, i had it on i was watching it it was my day off work um and we had someone was installing the heater in the house. And so there was a lot of like banging around. Um, and but and there was the excitement of anticipation of having heat in the house again after two and a half weeks. So, yeah, I was in a not so great headspace. But I, you know, I tried. You know, you guys all watch my sickeningly sweet stuff. Um, but I'm excited about talking about uh, what you're watching, because what I've been watching has been like the direct opposite of all of this so oh thank god for that all right well let's say let's uh let's call it let's roll on this bad boy um angela would you do me the honor of rolling on my pick first i'm gonna give it an 11 and i know we normally go in the row what it went above the halfway point what the cinematography i can't not respect that cinematography it was and i i suspect I suspect that there is greater meaning to this, like existential meaning to this film, that possibly for translation meaning reasons that I just wasn't glomming onto, and that I am I am giving a higher grade because my headspace was really just I was set up not to enjoy this movie, um, so I'm giving it some credit there. And clearly, it's on the Criterion Collection, so that doesn't mean anything to me. It does. It it tells me that. <laughs> there's something to the human experience in this film um, that goes beyond other, other movies. And And it was an early pick too. It was like within the first 100, they were like, this needs to be on it. (laughs) Needs to be on it. So um, I'm just giving it up. Maybe, I don't know what you guys are giving it, but 11 seemed fine to me. I mean, I'll go next and say nine Mm -hmm. because that feels like I'm being generous because for me, this is like (laughs) an eight. Uh, but I'm going to say nine. Uh, yeah, but I, am glad I watched it. Like, honestly, I think it's like, I think it's super cool that I was able to like, I think it was, yeah, I think, I think I had a, I think it was, what did I say? I think I've, I've shat on everything I said when I very first said I had a lot of fun watching this because clearly maybe I didn't have too much fun watching it, (laughs) but, uh, I, I definitely enjoyed the experience of watching it and talking about it, despite the fact that I don't think it's a very good movie. Nine. Nine. I well, and I also just really enjoyed learning more about the Japanese studio system of the 1960s. Yeah. Uh, that's not something that I had ever looked into before. Uh, I'm giving it a 14. Uh, I was into it. Whoa! Uh, I liked it. Wizard, what about you? 
You know, I uh, I was here for it. I liked it. I had some woes with it, but generally, I had a great time. Um, I'm I will also give it a fourteen. Um, feeling pretty good about that one. It was a fun. It was a fun time, and I think that. I think that Angela, maybe, maybe let's come back to it when we've got some, when we've got some fun in our veins and it might, it might, it might do something more for us. I, I'm willing to give it that try. We can have like a retrospective episode and go, you know, uh, maybe dare each other to watch things we hated a second time. <laughs> like we have one episode where we each watch one movie where we watch it for a second time, like one that we really hated. We'll have to put some mileage on the show for that. Yeah. I I'm agree. just surprised that I gave Black Moon a 10. <laughs> this is lower than Black Moon. I'm not sure if that should be. <laughs> it's, it's all subjective. It's all subjective. There's a lyric from Bright Eyes that I think about a lot that's uh, it just goes to show it's not what you know, it's what you were thinking at the time. Yeah. No, that I makes s- sense to me. Black Moon also tried to, like, sh- like through a lot of against the wall and definitely I would say more of it stack stuck in Black Moon than it did for Branded Kill. Okay, right. Sorry. It's not Just, what you know, it's what you were feeling at the time. I think that's a good point to to leave uh, to leave Branded to Kill at. Uh, thank you for picking this movie, Chris. Thank you guys for watching it with me. Uh, next week I believe we're going to be doing a Corey pick. Yes, and I'm going Corey, to be, what you got for us? I'm going to be picking the uh, I believe it's 1982 movie uh, from Susan Seidelman, Smithereens. Uh, this is uh, it, it's a very lo-fi and um, seems very uh, like you know, rough cut amateur uh, work, uh, first film about a young woman who goes to New York to try to get into the punk scene only to realize that the punk scene is kind of up and left uh, and gone to LA. And so she's, so it follows her along with the relationships of, of the people that she meets along that way. It also um, stars Richard Hell, who has been in a number of punk bands and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in watching this. This also happens to be the first American independent film to compete for the Palme d'Or. Um, yeah, what made you decide to pick this, Corey? What was the draw for you? Uh, so I I love punk music, but I don't love all punk music. I love like the late 70s, early 80s punk music. Um, that's mm-hmm. like my favorite stuff. Um, so like, you know, early early Clash and Misfits and like kind of up to like Dead Kennedys and stuff is kind of where I start like once it starts getting like poppy punk I kind of fallen off and so I love that era of like punk that this um, movie is uh, set in and I think hopefully will like capture some of the spirit of so I'm interested in seeing that cool. uh, this is also uh, a movie that's in the Criterion Collection it's number 941 yeah, I can't believe I haven't seen this movie, mm-hmm. so I'm very excited to watch. Yeah. Me too. Right on, right on. Well, Smithereens, that'll be exciting. Um, I guess now we move into uh, into everyone's favorite part of the podcast, other than all of the other parts of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is not my favorite part. <laughs> what else are you watching? And I think Who it's time for first? I think it's time for Angela's time to shine. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Angela, lay it on oh, us. Oh, guys, you're not going to be interested in anything that I'm watching because I am watching no! South Korean soap opera set in the yes. 1700s. So here for it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Showing um, up. Netflix has a huge uh, library of Korean entertainment, and um, America is just so 
nutty right now that I, I can't watch even American stories because I'm just, I'm burnt out of it all. I need to watch some stuff from other cultures. And you've noticed my other, what you're watching, generally speaking, has been other cultures because I don't, I'm surprised. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to predict the ending. Um, and it actually serves as an escape. I need to escape from reality. And that's why I'm watching film right now. Um, so I've been watching um, 100 Days My Prince, which is a soap opera about a crown prince who is uh, very badly injured in an assassination attempt and loses his memory and lives in a small town uh, with uh, this girl who he doesn't realize that he was in love with when he was a little kid. Um, and so it, it's just adorable and fun to watch. And it's super funny. What, what got me to watch it was that one of those really annoying Netflix previews came up and I was watching this scene um, and it was just super comedic and about, you know, class differences and gender differences. Um, and the woman in it, the main woman, it is really feisty and sassy. And I was like, this is what I need right now. Um, and it is pushing all of my buttons. I, uh, when was I it made? When was it, it on air? Um, it's, it's like a 2020 show. It's oh, okay. 15 one hour plus episodes. Um, it's great. Cause there's like palace intrigue. There is a pregnant, uh, crown princess whose child is definitely not the crown princess. Um, but maybe it's that, that small country woman's, uh, niece, or something like that. It's all kinds of crazy soap opera e goodness, um, but not as Dishy. bad as American soap operas. So, like, I can actually stand the characters in the show. I usually can't stand American soap opera characters. Angela, you are far from the first person I've heard talk about the joy of South Korean soap operas. <laughs> uh, and I like. I just. I think I don't think I'd heard it for maybe a year or so. But yeah, people. Yeah, this is. Uh, people love them. Like this is a well-renowned media that, you, and I'm really glad that it's given you some happiness. Oh, it's been my my escape for this weekend. Uh, like I woke up this morning and I'm like, oh, I should finish watching that show. And pretty much from like 10 a.m. until we started recording, I was watching <laughs> 100 yeah. Days, My Prince. Um, it's very, it's well shot. It's uh, well edited. The story is tight, 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 and you even. <laughs> Like, you're cheering for every single character, villain, or good person in this story. And um, I, it never feels trite or overly contrived. Um, yet still, you know, you get these really great payoffs of surprises. Um, and it's ridiculously sweet, which is what I need. Because the world is kind of bitter right now. So, uh, Corey, what you watching? Um, so one of the PlayStation Plus free games for this month was Greedfall, and um, I've put a lot of hours into it. Uh, even, is it good? It is Dragon's Dogma, and as I keep playing this game, I'm like, this is just this is Dragon's Dogma with like a little bit of a better story. But in most cases, Dragon's Dogma, even though it's like a ten year old game, is a better game. Um, I. It's kind of got that RPG hook on me. Like, I have this necklace, and I just have to level up three more times before I can finally use it, so I want to do that. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's fine. Um, yeah. If you want a big open-world fantasy RPG. Um, but I, I say Dragon's Dog was better. Yeah, I downloaded it to... to I'll get to it mm -hmm. in, you know, a year or something. Whatever. Yeah, I don't think anything's particularly brilliant or pressing for you to, to 
play. Um, uh, but what I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing your all's reaction on this, is I'm watching now for the first time The Wire. Ah, cool. Yeah, I still haven't. Uh, I still haven't gotten too far into The Wire. I've seen like maybe three or four episodes. Okay. It is one of the best ten shows of all time. I love it. Yeah. I wholeheartedly co-sign to all of the critical acclaim yeah. for it. I, I cannot believe that I haven't watched it. Um, Angela, have you seen it? I haven't, and people tell me all the time that I would love it because I I do enjoy like poli- like politics and. I hear that there's a lot of like insider politics that happens as part oh, yeah. of the story here, and yeah. uh, but I how haven't far are you, Corey? Dipped my toe in. I'm like nine episodes in, and oh, so you haven't even gotten to season no, two then? No, I'm. Ooh. But I am going to go through this quick. Uh, I am binging this. Uh, so it was funny when I was talking. To, I've talked to a couple of people about it, and they've a couple of people said. Um, I wonder if it still holds up. Like, these are people that watched it kind of back in the day. You know, I don't know, this is mm-hmm. nearly a 20-year-old show at this point, at least 15. Um, I'm like, I wonder if it still holds up. And I'm here to say it absolutely holds up. Like, holy yeah. cow, this is a great TV show. And, yeah, I'm probably going to get off this and go watch more. Like, <laughs> I'm really interested. Uh, do you know enough? I'm not spoiling anything. Do you know enough to know that everything changes in season two? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because okay. I'm, womp, I'm womp. really... Because I'm really curious uh, about talking to you uh, when you start season two. Okay. Um, Because I'm not going to say anymore. Um, It's it's a it's an achievement. That show is a is an is a monument to how you can tell stories. And Uh, and I also just appreciate how like everyone's a fuck up. Everyone is a fuck up. Like the 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 cops, the you know drug dealers, the politicians, the you know higher ups, like everyone's just fucking up left and right. I just love that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to give too much away, but like... I it's like, because I was watching Hannibal with uh, Frida, and we're still watching kind of like that sometimes, like, together. But it's Delicious. like, in shows like that, and it kind of reminds me of like the new, that Sherlock Holmes thing or whatever, where like he's a super genius who can deduce everything, and like Hannibal is like super competent, and he's the best psychiatrist, and he all, he's also an expert in like everything, and then the other main guy in Hannibal has this like supernatural power to like figure stuff out, and it's like, in The Wire, everyone is like superhuman and super fuck up. Like, so it's, it's a nice yeah. change of pace from that. Like, no, one, like is comp- no one is competent Aaron Sorkin. in anything. I'm glad you're enjoying yeah, it. it. Yeah, I'm glad you're watching and enjoying it. I'm almost due for a rewatch, I think. Yeah. Uh, P- have we talked about you, Peter? Peter, what are you no. watching? I've got a good one. I've got a good, uh, just one thing, short and quick. But I uh, I was able to watch uh, um, through the uh, recommendation of my favorite, my personal favorite movies podcast, besides Crit Club, uh, the Next Picture Show, which sort of reviews a current movie and compares it with a past movie. Uh, and they were talking about Wolf Walkers, which is a brand new animated fantasy film that released at the very end of last year. Ooh. It's only a couple months old. Um, Wolf Walkers is an Irish um, animated movie. Uh, it's by the same studio. It's Cartoon Saloon and Melusine Productions. They did The Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea. I've never seen either of those, but both of those, people love these. And this is, I think, the first movie I've seen uh, from this studio. But um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like almost Disney-ish and it's sort of the simplicity around the, the story itself. There's like a, uh, it takes place in, in Ireland uh, where a bunch of sort of native Irish people, or maybe, uh, I can't remember if the, 
uh, I can't remember whether the, because the main character is a girl and her father. It's an English settlement in Ireland that is trying to get rid of nearby wolves in a forest so they can expand their settlement. So there's a lot of colonialism. There's a lot of stuff like that. And her father is the hunter who's in charge of getting rid of the wolves. Uh, and the girl uh, aspires to be a hunter until she learns that there are mystical people uh, called wolf walkers in the forest as well, which is sort of Irish folklore where they're, it's sort of like a, a take on werewolfism or lupin, loop, whatever the, the lycanthropy. Fun, Lycanthropy. Uh, Lycanthropy. Thank you very much. Lycanthropy. Uh, where it's when they're asleep, they turn into wolves um, and then wake up in their bodies. Um, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. I think uh, I think the, the story is, is sweet and endearing and nice and all of that. But the animation and the art style itself is so striking and stylized and gorgeous. Uh, it's one of those where you're just marveling at even a palette, like the palette of colors that they choose for, for a, to set a scene in. Um, and it was just so much fun to watch and just a real lovely experience. Uh, that Angela, I, I would really recommend it for you uh, and the family if, if you all haven't watched it specifically, Wolf Walkers. Oh, Wolf um, Walkers. We might do that. That sounds good. Chris, what are you watching, Wizard? Oh man, I'm watching. I got a Disney Plus subscription. I'm watching The Mandalorian. Mm. Honestly, what are your thoughts? I don't know. It's pretty like bloodless and like it's exactly what you want a lot of the time, which is cool. Um, love Baby Yoda. Understand that I'm meant to love Baby Yoda. Understand that in the far future, it will be illegal to not love Baby Yoda. He is genetically <laughs> um, organized, genetically um, uh, manipulated to like get your love. Um, what's it? Um, freaking. So are babies. So are babies. So are babies. Mm -hmm. It's true. Um, Werner Herzog said something really poetic and amazing about Baby Yoda, about how it's like the most achingly beautiful creation he's ever seen or something like that, which I think knowing, you know, my perception of Werner Herzog means we should be very afraid of it. <laughs> <laughs> but just the fact that he was an actor in that, um, you, it's very strange. I didn't see that coming. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> he's so good. He's all like, he's perfectly suited to be like evil, like post-imperial, yeah. like ex-Nazi. Like, oh, that's great. Where, um, where are you in, in the middle? Uh, I'm just making my way through season two. Uh, Rosario Dawson just came through as yeah. uh, as Jedi. I I'm, it's been so long since I cared about Star Wars enough to remember everyone's name. Mm -hmm. Um Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano, did it. Thank you. Um, all of it's all cool. It's all Star Wars. It's fun. I, it's got this weird like cosplay aspect to it that I think we're gonna see a lot of like the House of Mouse stuff uh, sort of produce, where like you know like Bill Burr is a character, um, yeah. you know, and like uh, Horatio Sands. Oh yeah, wow. like Jason Sudeikis is one of the is one of the scout troopers at the end of season one. Like it has this sort of like oh, Amy Sedaris. Hey, I, I love Amy Sedaris. Yeah. So oh, Although yeah. I love Hell her yeah. character, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I find her character very charming. But there's this like there's this like weird cosplay aspect to 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 the Mandalorian that I think we're going to see in a lot of Star Wars. Stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah, is right. in it. Yeah. I, and like it's, it's cool, it's all cool, but it just—I don't know—it's a little, it's a little, it rings a little hollow sometimes. Um, 
I really was charmed by it. I actually had to rewatch, or I actually had to catch up with it uh, before the new season started. So I watched all of it pretty quickly a couple months ago. And I was, uh, I 100% agree with everything you said, but I was pretty charmed by it. It's, it's it is every samurai movie possible. Yeah. It's Western samurai stuff. Uh, the, my biggest revelation about that show is the song fucking slaps that theme song oh, is the, incredible yeah. i watched yeah, the uh, very good theme song i watched the first three or four episodes over the holidays with the family but i don't have a disney plus account so i would i would like to watch more but we'll have to figure that out at some point yeah um it's it's good it's certainly it is uh i'm sure this has been i mean obviously i'm like way behind on this but it is certainly filled with more heart and personality than uh than rise of skywalker um, yes. And it excites me for a lot of the things that we could see from like Star Wars TV, but yes. yeah, I don't know. Ups and downs. There's there are pros and cons to Star Wars becoming ubiquitous instead of like a rarity, and this is just I have weird feelings about it, and this is one of those moments. I'm gonna finish it though, because uh, yeah, I, I'm still on board. It's still like exciting Star Wars. Angela, did you watch? Did you all watch Mando? Oh my God, are we like, we are a Mando family, uh, big time. Like there is, it is unbridled love and affection for the Mandalorian. Um, like Chris. Song slaps, doesn't it? It all slaps. Um, my husband uh, went into uh, game design and um, video games because he wanted to work in the Star Wars universe and he worked for LucasArts for a long time. And so for him and watching him enjoy it, like the Mandalorian has been like the delivery of a promise of what the original trilogy should have delivered. And um, like it captures all of the mystique, all of the adventure. Um, I, I, it brings me back to being six or seven years old when all of these movies came out and um, it's joyful for me to watch every single episode. Um, And I don't like, I just forgive it all of the things because um, I never thought I would get to experience a Star Wars property in this way that made me as happy as I was watching um, Empire or Jedi. Um, and before the end of the second season, I, I rewatched um, Empire and Jedi and it really delivered on the season finale for um, season two. So if you can, and if you have a Disney Plus account, watch the original trilogy again um, because it'll just make you that much happier um, for the end of season two on the Mandalorian. And I mean, I cried. I happy tears. Like it oh, was I like, cried. no, happy tears. I didn't cry happy tears. That, that show made me cry. Yeah. <laughs> I have to yeah. admit that yeah, there was, was something, there was something like, uh, there was something inherently curmudgeonly about complaining about like finding fault with the Mandalorian because it is like, it's perfect. It's <laughs> wonderful. Um, it's good soda. It's so good. So really good soda. It's really good. soda. <laughs> it's the best soda you've ever tasted. Exactly that. That's a good way to describe it. Um, <laughs> best, best song in the galaxy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm excited for all the other properties that are coming out. Like John Favreau can do nothing wrong aside from, once being the friend of... Uh, no, it's not Vince Vaughn. Who's the other guy? I'm so confused. Uh, you know, the, it's the one guy from that Swingers movie from the 1990s who is producing all of who this. Who isn't now. Vince Vaughn? It's not Vince yeah, Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it Vince yeah. Vaughn? Yeah, John Favreau. John Favreau, that's right. 
the one that's not Vince Vaughn. Yeah, the only thing John Favreau did wrong was be friends with Vince Vaughn because Vince Vaughn's politics are just wrong. Oh, he's insufferable, I'm sure. Um, calling out Vince Vaughn for being insufferable right here on Crick Club. <laughs> Sorry, yep, my, this is an uh, anti-Vince Vaughn podcast. All of a sudden, you gotta put a line in the sand somewhere. You gotta stand for something. With a little um, ADHD flavor. <laughs> Um, I think that does it for us this uh, this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. anybody want to yeah. give a shout out to the Twitter or the 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 other stuff? Yes, uh, feel free to drop us a line. Uh, we're on Twitter at Crit Club Cast, and you can also send us an email, critclubcast at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. Yes, send us uh, thoughts about what you agreed with or disagreed with about our takes. Send us recommendations about things on the Criterion Channel that you think we may not have seen that you would like us to discuss. Send us your branded to kill fan art. I want to see <laughs> Joe Shishido's face in my inbox by the end of the week, please. Get cheek implants mm-hmm. and send us pictures of your cheek mm-hmm. implants. Yeah. Um, do we got to do any legal for that? You know what? We'll work that out down the road. Um, yeah, come back at us uh, next time. We're going to be checking out uh, Susan Seidelman's Smithereens. And uh, we love you. Stay safe and hug each other, but like from a distance. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.